Um, we're uh, currently in a series at the beginning of uh, January. We've called God and the Headlines. And so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a number of topics. Last week, we looked at God and politics. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking, and I'll tell you in a moment what that topic is. Next week, we're going to be looking at God and gender. And then the week after that, we're going to be looking at God and the environment. So lots of big uh, hitting topics. But this week is quite a sensitive subject. Uh, so we just want to warn you about that. We're going to be talking about some gritty things. Um, but before Peter comes up and shares, I thought it would be good today just to get a little bit more uh, grinding in a story um, about people's experience of this topic. So today we're going to be talking about suicide. And the reason we want to talk about it today is because in Scotland, the biggest killer of young men, actually, uh, is suicide. Uh, Here's a, a couple of things to let you know about. Every day, around two people die from suicide in Scotland. And uh, it's a big challenge for our nation. Uh, It's a big challenge for us to talk about. And so uh, I've invited my friend John. Most of you will know him, uh, who's been part of the church here for a while. And he's just going to share a little bit about his story and his experience uh, of this topic. So let's welcome John. (laughs) So I've got three questions that I'm going to ask him. Today, everyone will know that, that John, just like myself, can talk for far too long, okay? So we've got a time limit. I will butt in when I need to. But here, here's the first question we've got. <laughs> um, and it's a challenging one. But John, tell us a little bit about what is your own personal experience of suicide? My own, my own personal experience, I just knew... Uh, before I come to Christ for, for decades, I just uh, I just found life really, really difficult, really challenging, trying to engage in it, trying to uh, sustain in it, trying to keep my house, just like basic, basic, simple things. And uh, through years, uh, my mental health deteriorating and suffering with anxiety, bad anxiety and bad depression and... and uh, Isolation and locking myself away, so I sort of disconnected myself and in my head, just constantly telling me, uh, "What's the point? What's the, I had these questions that I've, I have answered now, but I had the three big questions. I thought there was something wrong with me. That's what I thought. I thought, "What's wrong with me? I, ca- I can't do this. I can't do what everybody else can do. Uh, I didn't know why I was here. I didn't know what my purpose was in life." So I just continuously, for decades, kept going round in circles and circles and then coming to the same point where I just didn't see a way out. I just didn't see a way out of life. I didn't see a way how I could move forward. I just continuously kept getting stuck. And then it would come in, just get it over with, just end it. What's the point? What's the point in in doing this? You're going to fail. Constant... I know now, far lies, constant accusations in myself, low self-esteem, low confidence, and, and just found every day, very, very... I've been thinking about this, and it's been pretty emotional for me going over the questions you sent me, and it's, and it's took me back to how far I've come in such a short space of time. 
uh, with, with Jesus and stuff in my life. And I mean, the last time I was on Princess Street when I was homeless two and a half years ago, and I was looking at the castle and I was just, I was numb to the world. I didn't even know, see people anymore. I'd switched off totally. Nothing was happening inside. I had absolutely no hope. And uh, I remember staring at the castle and waking up and I'd already came to Jesus, but I'd lost my father and my gran and my 17-year-old niece and we're getting away through things. All the grief and all the trauma in my life caught up with me as well. And I used to say, it's like carrying half a seat on my back. I can't get rid of it. It's just a solid weight and I couldn't shake it. And I woke up staring at half a seat again. This was, and I ended up in hospital years ago waking up with things on my chest with trying to not be here and no succeeding at that and then the guilt and shame of that and and then I was waiting on Princess Street I'd been on the streets for about six months sleeping in the doorway the Swatch Swatch shop and looking at the castle and then going I can't do this I don't want to be here anymore Uh, and I had two choices right there right in front of me and it was get it over with or you need to stand up, you need to face what's going on, and you need to grow up, and you need to take responsibility for yourself for the first time. And I knew because I'd been chronically using substances, crack cocaine, heroin, to, to numb pain, and I had a revelation that day that it was the stuff inside that was nothing to do with what I was taking. It had nothing to do with my circumstances. Uh, to do with events that had happened in the past, and I hadn't dealt with them. And I knew that moment that if I didn't deal with them, Nothing was going to change, and I was going to say, stay the same person, and that's if I would even make it, because I knew what my lifestyle was like, six and a half stone, seven stone, when I came, came here, and I got into the little place along the road. Uh, ravished, totally exhausted on every level, every single level. Thanks, John, for sharing that. And well, <laughs> we'll ask in a moment just what difference Jesus has made, but just... just thinking a little bit more about this topic, and Peter's going to share some more thoughts on this, but a couple of things that I'm aware of in our, our nation. So here's a, a few things that I want to just let the guys know and, and to be aware of. So in Scotland, around three out of four suicides are by men. Uh, almost half of all deaths by suicide are by people aged between 35 and 54. And those in the most deprived areas of Scotland have a suicide risk that is double the Scottish average. I'm not expecting you to answer this because it's an answer that uh, I suppose experts and others are are trying to answer at the moment. But if I said to you, putting all those things together, why do you think young Scottish, and I suppose it could be men, are at such a high risk from suicide? Well, for me, personally, I think because I've been brought up in a culture where you're not encouraged to share your feelings. Uh, yeah. We keep things to ourselves for, for whatever reason. And I was thinking about this, and it's like, who in their right mind wants to tell the person that they love or the person closest to them that they feel that they don't want to be here? I mean, I don't know the answers to it, but uh, you don't even want to admit it to yourself, but you're carrying it every single day. And, and, then, and then you feel weak that you're actually thinking like that because of the way sort of society's views are on it. Yeah. And I mean, I'm okay now. I think it's a pride thing as well. I think pride's involved there, with men especially, uh, that they don't want to tell their best mate that 
I'm thinking of doing myself in, mate. I, I can't cope. It's that being vulnerable with somebody and letting, exposing your deepest, darkest sort of things to another person, which I've had to learn that. that didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know how to do that three year, two and a half years ago. Yep. So it's a pride thing and it's a, a cultural thing here in Scotland and like you see Ireland and stuff like that. That thingy, we're men and we're solid and we're hard and that's it. And that's not the case. It's far from it. We're very soft. We're just little kids. Yeah. You know, that and just, something, something that's very important uh, that we talk about as well in this kind of context and forum. Uh, John, last question. How would you say the church community and in particular your personal relationship with Jesus has helped you in this area? Yeah, well, well, first, I have support in my life for the first time ever. I've done life my own way every day and I uh, always failed drastically and now I have, I have the right support, I have the right people and the reason it works, I think, it's not a thing I know is because of the way they treat me, the way they care for me, the way they respect me, they treat me with, they just treat me with love. They, they, they show me compassion and, and they show me that it's okay to, to struggle because if you're a human being, which you are, and I'm one, you struggle as well. It's not just, it's not just me. It's everybody. Everybody in this room knows somebody who's took their own life or has struggled with the thoughts of it themselves. And you have the days where just didn't want to do this anymore. You know, we're human beings and, you know, we're not that strong, to be honest with you. We pretend we are, but we're not. I'm not. So if I'm not, you're the same as me. We're all the same. So that's, yeah. That's, yeah. John, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your story today and for opening yourself up. Um, should we pray? And then Peter's going to come up and, and share from God's Word about this really important topic. Let's pray. Do you want to pray? I was, pray. No, I was going to... Uh, I've actually got a psalm, that, uh, the two verses that I stood on uh, that got me through things. And the first one was the one you, you read out. But uh, I want to I wanna read this. I want to read this psalm, uh, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go and it's uh, <clears throat> this got me. This got me through so much, and it still does. Uh, and it's Psalm 116. Uh, I love the Lord, for He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because because He turned His ear to me, I will call on Him as long as I live. Because the cords of death entangled me, the anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling that I may be able to walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And that's what Jesus has done in my life. I can now walk with integrity, discipline, love my brothers and sisters, where I didn't even love myself two and a half years ago. Uh, and this is what Jesus does. You know, he transforms you from the inside out. So just want to encourage anybody, it's okay 
to have these thoughts and feelings, Jesus tells me differently that no matter what I think or what my heart tells me, he loves me. Amen. Exactly. For everything that's wrong with me, he loves me regardless of what I think or feel about myself. So just hope that encourages anyone. Thanks, John. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for that, Sam. We're so grateful for John's story and for uh, God, many of the stories in here where you have helped people in the darkest moments of their life. You brought us out from that miry pit. You've set us up and you, you love us, God. You call us by name and you bring us, uh, just as John read, into the land of the living. You, you remove our tears. Uh, and God, we want to thank you today uh, that what, whatever people are going through this morning, you want to speak to them today. Father, I want to thank you that uh, as Peter comes and shares, uh, God, for some of us who maybe are struggling with uh, feelings or thoughts about suicide, God, you you want to speak to them today. Amen. Father, for people here today who maybe uh, have had friends or family struggling with similar things, you want to equip them today in order to be able to deal with that and support um, either people in their family or people in their church community. Uh, and God, maybe even there's been people here today who've actually had family members or close friends commit suicide. Today, God, you want to speak into their situation uh, and bring hope. So God, we come and we, we, we open up our hearts afresh to you and we ask God, uh, as Peter comes and shares, that you would speak to us afresh. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's hear it for Peter as he comes up and shares. Hey, good morning, church. I'm going to turn to the Bible. Thanks, John, for sharing so honestly. Many of you have stories like that, and many of you would testify like John, uh, that God's been your, your solution, God's been your rescuer. Um, globally, according to Simon Ponsonby in his book, And the Lamb Wins, over one million people commit suicide every year. That's every 40 seconds someone sees nothing to live for and ends their own life. The figure has increased by 60% since 1940. Perhaps the most shocking for us is the rise in suicide among Western males, as Sammy mentioned. Dr. Yavil Harari from Jerusalem University said that more people die from suicide than are killed by soldiers, terrorists, and criminals combined every year. So it's, it's a tragic, absolute tragic thing, and it is a... It's a I mean, it's, it is a very visible outward manifestation of the despair in human beings. Um, I'm going to read to you from one of the probably the most famous, second to Jesus, probably the world's greatest leader, uh, most famous leader, most influential leader, strong leader. And this is what this famous, strong, influential leader said. And it's the Apostle Paul writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He said this, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. So here's the great apostle Paul, one of the strongest leaders planet Earth has seen. This wasn't when he was in rebellion to God. This is when he was a strong believer. This wasn't when he was out of the will of God. This is when he's in bullseye in the middle of the will of God. And yet, someone who's strong in the Lord, strong in faith, 
And bullseye in the middle of the will of God, not in rebellion against God, totally in the will of God, following God with all his heart, is at a point where he described himself honestly saying, I despaired of life itself. So the, this, and I'm saying that to say, whoever you are, whatever your struggle is, you might be in rebellion against God, or you might be at a place where you're walking with God, but it's possible for human beings to find this point of utter despair. And this is what the Apostle Paul found. He goes on to give us solutions to that and give us hope for that, but we'll come to that in a few moments. But let's just first of all answer some questions. First of all, what is it that drives human beings to these points of despair? What is it that drives this despair? What is it that brings people to this point of absolute desperation? And there's never any one answer, but some of the things that John has mentioned, here's some other things. Rejection, abuse, current abuse or past abuse. It might even be from years ago. Fear, fear of the future, utter fear of failing. You just couldn't face failing again. Hopelessness and loneliness. Desperation, depression, stress, huge cause of suicide attempts. Bereavement. It's interesting, according to a blog uh, called Think Theology, 25% of teenagers all the way through to mid-twenties, who attempt suicide had suffered a bereavement, a recent bereavement. 25% of teenagers to mid-twenties have suffered a recent bereavement, and that led them to have suicidal thoughts. And in a post-Christian society, especially when kind of death is the end, you know, that there's no ultimate eternity, that you're, you're just here, and that's, there's no purpose in life. You're just here, you live, you die, and that's the end. It's leaving people with a sense of despair that when someone dies, it's just like a, such a final thing. Guilt. Guilt drives people to suicidal thoughts. A couple of years back, maybe some of you heard me share this story. I was on Gorgie Roads. And there, was, there was a couple of us out sharing our faith with different people, just getting into conversations with people, talking about Jesus to anyone who wanted to. And I, I saw a particular guy down the street, and I felt led to go and speak to him. Went over to him and got into conversation and asked him a question. I asked them, if you were to die today, are you sure, beyond all shadow of a doubt, that you're going to be with God forever in heaven? And the guy burst into tears, and he went on to explain that he was on his way right there, and then when I met him, he was on his way to take his life. The day before, he'd given up his rent. He'd, he'd given up his flat. Just an hour before I saw him, he'd got rid of his mobile phone, and then he was on his way. He was literally on his way to take his life, and he pulled out of his pocket all these blades that he had that he was going to cut himself with. He was about to take his life. And I asked him the question, if you were to die today, are you sure that you're going to be with God forever? And he burst into tears. And then he went on to say that, you know, the things I've done, God could not forgive me for the things I've done. Where where I'm from, I've been told God couldn't forgive me for the things I've done. And I was able to then point him to Jesus on the cross. And I said that that, that's what God did for you. That 2,000 years ago, God cared for you so much flawed human being. He's here for you so much that on the cross, he personally paid the price for every sin you've committed. Your guilt can be wiped clean. You can have eternal life. You can have forgiveness. And it's like hope dawned in the guy's heart. And I told him about the resurrection, how Jesus conquered death. And right there and there on the street, the guy prayed and asked Jesus to be his savior. Got eternal life on the day that he'd planned to end his life. Isn't it God? God rescues in this life and in eternity. So if, before I kind of continue on some things I want to share, let me just 
point you to some places where you can get help. If today you're thinking, okay, Peter, these are helpful things. What John shared, what you're sharing from the Bible is helping me. Where do I go with this? Who, who do I talk to? So I've just got three sources of, four, four sources of support that there is in the church here. So number one, um, our location pastor, Sammy Ewan. So there's a slide up here. Feel free to take a photograph of this slide. That's Sammy's email address. If you need support, now Sammy's not a trained counselor, but sometimes you don't always need a trained counselor. You just need someone who's going to be there for you. Like John said, sometimes we just don't talk. You just need someone to talk to, to say, listen, this is what's going on. And Sammy might connect you with someone who can, who can help you. But first point of contact, talk to Sammy. Next support system we've got in place in the church is, is our um, counseling service, which again, Sammy can point you towards. Uh, Maria, give us a wave, Maria. She's downstairs here. Maria looks after a number of counselors in the church and does a fantastic job. And there are other counseling services out there as well we can flag, send people to. Uh, there are obviously the Samaritans with a 24-hour helpline. For those who have suffered bereavement by suicide, who've lost people through suicide, there's a support line there, which is manned 12 hours a day, and there's, there's the number there. Feel free to take a photo of that, take a record of those things, and then pass them on to anyone. If you need support or if you know people who need support, make sure you make the most of that. Okay, to navigate this hugely important subject, we need four fundamental convictions. And, I, and I, when I was thinking about the subject, I thought, you know, there are four fundamental convictions I've got which help me navigate this horrendously complicated situation that people find themselves in and that I've found myself or other people have found themselves in facing in life. Four foundational convictions you can have. Number one, you're created. You didn't just happen. You weren't just an accident. You're created. You were intended by God. You were created by God. It's fundamentally important. It's, 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 just, it's so basic, but it's so fundamental. And in society, jury's out on that one, but why not? jury's not out on that one. You're created. Some of you saw in the news in 2018, the fire in the Glasgow School of Art. The tragedy is it was the second fire. In 2014, there had been a fire as well. And then they'd done a refurbishment, and it was about to open its doors when it went on fire again, and, and it's literally, it was gutted beyond repair. So that famous Charles Rennie Macintosh building. Now, for me and my family, that was, had personal significance because my dad's in the 1940s and 50s was a student there, and then he went on to be a tutor in the Glasgow School of Art where he taught uh, uh, painting students. And, and that's where he met mum. So mum came in as a student, and they kind of broke all the rules. The, the teacher went out with the student. Uh-uh. Uh, and hey, but it worked. I'm here. So... They met in the Glasgow School of Art. So many happy memories there. And dad spent years of his life there training painters. And, and then it's up in flames. And, you know, the double devastation is not that there was only, not only that the building itself was a work of art. It was the Charles Rennie Macintosh building. But not only was it a devastating thing that that went up in flames. But in 2014, it was in May the fire was. So all the graduating students had their final art on their display, and it was, it was their degree show. So four years, the culmination of four years of their work was consumed in a fire. Now, why do we find that so hard? When we watched the, people in Glasgow were crying and watching the images of it. I know it's so moving if you saw it in the news. Why were we so impacted by that? The answer is because we value it so much because it was the creation of Charles Rennie Macintosh. It was a Charles Rennie Macintosh building. And secondly, it, it's because those those students created those pieces of artwork. We value it because 
it was created. We place value in things that are created. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. God's obviously speaking as, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this Trinitarian, awesome creator God created human beings in his likeness. That's amazing. You're not just created. You're created uniquely in the image of God. And it's for that reason, murder is wrong. Whether you kill yourself or another person, killing is wrong. Your worth doesn't come from what you do. Your worth comes from who you are. You've been created in the image of God. Society will tell you if you're smart and you're beautiful, you have value. But God tells you you have value by virtue of the fact you are created in the image of God, as well as the fact that you're smart and beautiful. So you're created, and therefore you have huge value. You're created, therefore you have purpose. No one invents something that's purposeless. You create something that has a purpose, and God doesn't make people purposeless. He made people with a purpose, so you have value and you have purpose. And that comes from fundamental conviction number one, you're created. Fundamental conviction number two, you're flawed. Okay, so I've just built you up, now I'm going to break you down, okay? You're flawed. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you in particular are flawed. Go on, tell them. No, no, don't, don't, don't. If it's your wife you're sitting beside, don't, don't say it to her. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You read this verse with me. One, two, three. All have sins and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this is a fundamental conviction I've got that we're flawed. We're not, we're not just, oh, we're fundamentally good people who sometimes get it wrong. No, we're fundamentally evil people who sometimes get it right. That's human beings. Now, how does that help you in any shape or form? It really does. Because I understand that sin in my soul is my biggest enemy. That the human race isn't what it should be. Therefore, the stuff that goes down that shouldn't happen. Right? Suffering. Disease. Tons of stuff going on on earth that should never have been there. Were it not for our rebellion at the very beginning and our rebellion ever since sin. Now, it's like a, a pebble thrown into water. As soon as that pebble hits the water, there are ripples that go out. So also in our beings, sin in our soul, it creates ripples in our whole being. It affects our health. It affects our mentality. It affects our emotions. So we think thoughts we shouldn't think. We have feelings we shouldn't have. We get disease. We, shouldn't, we were never created to die of disease. That's what, all of these things happened as a result of a flaw. And that flaw has remained in, our, in this world. And that's exactly, the, incidentally, the flaw that Jesus came to deal with. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. The root behind all the bad fruit is sin in our soul. Now, that's not what society tells you. Society said, oh, you're, you're fine. You're not fine. You're flawed. I'm flawed. But that, strangely enough, will help you. Because you can only appreciate the good news when you understand the bad news. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> Sniper, take them out. Thank you. <clears throat> Did you not know we have snipers who take out people who have phones? Bless you, Doug. You can take the phone call. Number three, you have an enemy. 
you have an enemy of your soul. Satan hates human beings created in the image of God. Absolutely detests you. You have an enemy. And that's important for you to know. The world ain't neutral. There are spiritually dark forces that want to take you out. And suicide triply devastates. It devastates people who have been bereaved. So not only does the person who ends their life lose, but those around them, it's such a devastating thing. Hugely devastating. Beyond any other type of bereavement. It's a devastating type of bereavement. But then there's also the the, the second thing that happens is sometimes there's a cascade of suicides. It's commonly the case that one suicide literally leads to another and another and another. You see that in a college or a university or in in a student area where a student ends their life and then people in friendship with them, the several of them end their life. And that's strange. But the only one who wins and is delighted is Satan who does, who hates human beings created in the image of God. But you know, the, the, the third tragedy of suicide is it not just ends your life, it, it ends the life you were going to live, the impact you were going to make, the, the years that were ahead, even though you believed there was no hope. Actually, there was. Even though you believed you were going to make no difference, and that's the lie you believed, you were. Moni, the famous painter, um, he attempted suicide when he was aged 28. Thankfully, he failed. And he lived 58 more years and died of natural causes when he was 18. After commit, attempting to commit suicide, he got married, had children, and produced some of his finest artwork, including the, the series of paintings on the water lilies. You think the world would have been deprived. She would have not have had a husband. The children would not have had a father. A life would not have been lived. The world would not have been enriched had he succeeded in his suicide. The triply devastating effect of suicide is it, it cuts short destinies. What was, what was Satan's arch enemy, his, his arch enemy? What was his weapon against the human race? Well, it's lies. Jesus described him in this way. John chapter 8, verse 44. He, that's the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan, his weapon against human beings is lies. When someone's ending their life and committing suicide, for them, it's the completely logical thing to do. It's the only logical thing they can think of doing. For them, it's the, it, is, it is the best option. It Literally, of all the options, it's the only positive step they think they can take. Now, people looking on from the outside thinking, no, it's really not. But that's the deception that comes in people's souls where we, we believe and are utterly convinced that this literally is the only option, that the world would be better without you, that this, there is no way out other than suicide. And Satan has a never lie, and he uses it all the time with people. He's probably using it with many of you just now. And the never lie is this, you're never going to recover. You're never going to feel better. You will never be free. Things will never change. And that never lie holds people in bondage and brings them to despair where the lonely logical step forward is ending their life. So number three, you have have an enemy. Number four, you're worth sacrificing for. 
your value to God, it wasn't just by virtue of the fact that he created you, but he then went on to pay the highest price for you. Tim Keller, great pastor and theologian, uh, when he was a student, he suffered with depression, and he went to see a counselor, and the counselor uh, asked him, okay, what was the point in your life when you were at your happiest, Tim? And he thought, and he said, okay, I remember when I was at my happiest, it's it's when I'm asked to play, he was a trumpeter, when I'm asked to play a trumpet solo, and I play it, and I just pull it off, I feel on top of the world. And the counselor said, okay, when you're low, you need to think about that moment. Go back in your mind to that moment and remind yourself of how that felt. And Tim Keller went away from that counseling session, and as he was reflecting on it, he thought, do you know what? That isn't enough. It's not enough. It's not definite enough. It's, too, it's, not, it's maybe not even repeatable. It's not definite. It's not solid. It's depending on me and my ability, and it's, it's just not repeatable. It, it's something that's, yeah, it's a nice thought, but it's not sure enough. What you need, folks, what we need in our minds, see, it's, not, it's a nice thought that, hey, God loves you, but how do you know he loves you? I have an historical reason why he loves you. I have a historical history tells us he loves you. There is an historical event took place that tells the human race, not just in general, but you in particular, that God, the creator of all, loves you directly. This is what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 7, describing that event. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Flawed, flawed human beings, God, the creator, died for us. He didn't just create you, he died for you. That's how loved you are by God. And that, that, that gives me such security. That, man, if, if, if God wasn't willing to hold back in that area, he's not willing to hold back in any area in my life. He is for me. He's with me. Wouldn't it be crazy to, to end your life having believed that you weren't loved, only to discover that the greatest being ever loved you and thought the world of you, and yet you were deceived into not believing you were loved? But nothing could be further from the truth. You are so loved by God. And you're loved in a deep way. Not in a shallow way. Not just in a, oh yeah, I love you way. But in a deep way. Because he's God, he knows you fully. You see, to be loved and not known is superficial. To be known, truly known, and not loved, that's our greatest fear. That's why we say, I don't want to let people close to me. I don't want people to really know who I am because then they'll reject me. But to be fully known, every detail of your life, and truly loved, that's what we're talking about. The God who totally knows you, and yet despite you, loves you. He sees past your sin, and he wants to save your soul and rescue you, sometimes from yourself, definitely from your sin, absolutely from the enemy of your soul, Satan, and death. He wants to rescue you in this life and in eternity. And he accomplished that great feat by dying on a cross and rising again 2,000 years ago for you. Isn't that good news? Wow. Let's hear it for Jesus. He's amazing. Yeah. So that leads us, well, if, if we can be forgiven, 
that leads us to, I mean, it's a big question some of you have is this, is suicide the unforgivable sin? Because especially from the Catholic tradition, for, for a long time, that has been the belief up until recently, that if you commit suicide, it is the unforgivable sin. Up until recently, the Catholic Church wouldn't conduct your funeral, you wouldn't have a Christian funeral, and they would believe that you wouldn't go to heaven if you died of suicide. But what does the Bible say? The Bible actually doesn't say that. The Bible says, if you're saved and you know God, you die and you go to heaven, whether you die by suicide or any other means. And if you're lost and you don't know God and you reject God, you won't go to heaven, you'll be lost for eternity, whether you die by suicide or by another means. The means of your death isn't the, isn't the trigger that gets you into heaven or hell. It's the fact of your relationship with God. And as I read earlier, people sometimes with a relationship with God despair even of life itself, like the Apostle Paul says. I have a verse for you, and you need a verse, because it's, okay, Pete, I take, it's a nice thought, but I hope you're right. Well, I've got a Bible verse. Why do you doubt me? I've got a Bible verse. Uh, and he, he, this Bible verse describes it. This is the Apostle Paul describing a person who was dying in deception and in sin. Could be someone dying in suicide, dying in deception and in sin. And this is what Paul said, but a saved person dying in deception and sin. This is the verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. His body will be destroyed, but his spirit will be saved. This is good news. That if you're a saved person, even though in those dark moments of your soul, you made the craziest decision ever, your salvation, thank God, is bigger than your frailties and your flawedness. And the, the Savior saves you even when you've made mistakes. Thank God. So what is the solution to despair? So there are four fundamental convictions I've got, and they help me navigate life. I'm created. I am flawed. I have an enemy. But thank God I'm loved. Those help me navigate life. They can help you navigate life. Let those become foundational in your understanding in how you navigate life. So how do you get through despair? Well, the Apostle Paul, who described his despairing moment, goes on to give us solutions. Let's go back to the verses. One, Second Corinthians chapter 1. Start with verse 3. We do not want you to be uninformed. Sorry, start with verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death. But he then goes on and says, but this happens, that we might not rely upon ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril and will deliver us again. On him we set our hope, and, we will, and he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. So let me give you four keys from Paul to overcoming despair. Number one, hope. He says in, in verse 10, on him we have set our hope. You can set your hope in a God, even when you're in your darkest moments, you, and you're hearing that never lie, you're never going to get out of this, you're never going to change how you feel, this situation will never change. The hope you can have in God is that He has a future for you, that He can bring you through, that He is the God, not just of a future in this life, but and in eternity. So the never lie can just be water on a duck's back. It can just rub off because you have fundamental hope. See, how long do your feelings actually last? You think about it. 
can you, rem- can you remember that time when you were giddy with excitement? I mean, absolutely so excited and just buzzing about a, a particular situation or thing. You remember that moment? Remember that moment? You all nod? You all, I all had a moment like that. How long did it last? All right, you don't still feel that way years later. It came and it was great, but it went. And it's the same with the darkest feelings in our soul. We call them seasons. Seasons don't last. Autumn turns into winter, yes. But thank God, spring comes and then in summer, the blossom comes out. Seasons don't last. You will go on a roller coaster of life with your emotions. But thank God you can have a hope in a God who will bring you out and through into his plans for your life. Jeremiah the prophet famously prophesied to the Jewish peoples in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Uh, Read this with me. Here it comes. One, two, three. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, I want you to read it again, and I want you to, I want you to re- read it as if God's speaking to you directly. One, two, three. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, Jeremiah the prophet wasn't prophesying to people lying in a holiday resort. He was prophesying to people who had been taken as exiles into captivity in Babylon, way back in, in the, the Israelite captivity. They were there and they had, they had no natural hope of survival or success. They felt this was, this was the darkest, there was no possible, in their mind, no possibility of returning. This was a, they were going to live out their days in despair. They believed in exile, away from their homelands. And yet, in the middle of that emotion, God said, I have a plan for you. You can have a hope and a future. Isn't that good news? And I think that's what God says, as we're in the middle. And the reality was, Jeremiah, at one point, in fact, the verse before this, he tells them, here's the time that you're going to be in captivity. There's a fixed time to it. won't go on forever. It might feel like it's forever, but it won't. It's, the never lie is not true. It will last a season, and then the season will go, and I have a hope and a future for you. Don't allow Satan to cut you short in the middle of your days when actually God had more for you, even though you couldn't see it, even though you felt it was a million miles away. God has more for you. He has a future and a hope for you. Say amen. Amen. He has a future and a hope for you. Jack and Laura Cosley, who were very much part of the Leith location for many years and are now in our North location, a couple of winters ago, they were visiting their family. They went out for a walk down in Chichester area. And it, they were out, it was a very muddy, wet day. So they were, but they wanted to get some fresh air. So they went out for a walk down by a river. And do you know, they, they at one point thought, we're going to have to turn back because it's just so muddy. But Jack and Laura felt, for some reason, we've got to keep walking. So they kept walking as they went around the next corner. There around the corner was a, a guy hanging with a rope around his neck from a tree. And so they ran over to him, and, they, and Jack lifted him up to get, take his weight off the neck. And one of them climbed up the tree and loosened the rope, and they got him down. And they actually, they, they literally, minutes later, or if they turned back, the guy would have been a goner. But they literally, he must have just put the weight on the neck just moments before they went around that corner. So it was just in time. And they managed to rescue his life. Paramedics came. The guy was so drunk, he was a Polish guy, incoherent, didn't speak very good English, he was drunk, 
So they weren't really able to converse with him. But they found a suicide note at the scene, and they got from that his address. And so they got someone to translate into Polish a note from them, and they sent him a gospel. And the note said this, We believe God placed us there at that exact time to save your life. We believe God has a plan and a future for your life. God has a future for people. God wants to intervene and give you a future. So you need hope. Hope. You can have hope. Hope isn't an emotion. Hope's a truth. With God, you can have hope. Number two, get prayer. Paul went on and said in 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. You know, if when you're going through those dark moments in life, get someone to pray for you. Don't suffer alone. Get someone to pray for you. You could do that by coming on a Sunday. At the end of the services, grab one of the leaders and say, listen, can you pray for me? I'm feeling this. Even though they're not a trained counselor, they can lay hands on you in the name of Jesus, ask God to help you overcome and keep going through this hard time in your soul. God will help you. Prayer isn't just, oh, I'll pray for you, like a nice thought. You know, oh, my thoughts and prayers are with you. That's like a nice kind of optimistic gesture. No, prayers are powerful. When we pray to God in the name of Jesus, things change, things happen. So get someone to pray for you in your small groups and get, get in a small group. Get people to pray with you. Maybe not share it publicly, but just get one or two people you trust. Pray with me. Number three, don't isolate. A few chapters later in the same book, the Apostle Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. How did Paul in a time of trouble on the inside, fears on the outside, troubles on the, so troubles on the outside, fears on the inside. How did Paul experience God's comfort? What was God's answer to him? A human being. God brought a guy called Titus into Paul's life. That's what helped him. That's what got him through. You need people around you. Do not isolate. And I know when you're in that dark place in your soul, the very last thing is you'll, you think, I don't want to go to church bunch of people singing songs, clapping their hands. It's the last thing you want when you're feeling low. But actually, it's the very thing you need. So drag yourself along. Say, I'm going to go there. I'm going to sing those songs. Yes, turn up and sing those songs. Just sing. And eventually, your soul will catch up with the truth. But don't isolate. It's the biggest temptation just to hide away and isolate. Rob Waller, Dr. Rob Waller, consultant psychiatrist, said this, he stated that around 75% of those who have committed suicide haven't seen a mental health professional in the last year. Furthermore, he believes that 65% of those who commit suicide, the suicide was preventable if the right person had said the right thing at the right time. Just having the right thing said by the right person at the right time makes all the difference. Don't isolate. But listen, this message isn't just today for people who are battling with dark feelings themselves. It's also for those around you. You all know people. Maybe you're thinking, where's so-and-so? I haven't seen them for a while. Maybe they're isolating themselves. Maybe they're in a dark place. Maybe they just need you to pick up the phone rather than thinking, oh, someone else will, because that's the trap. We all think someone else will have it covered. Don't think that. You be the person. You pick up the phone. How are you doing? And just being there for them. So again, don't isolate. Be in a small group. 
Come to church. Tell someone you're struggling, a family member, a church leader, a counselor. And you know, you don't have to, if, if someone comes to you and say, listen, I'm struggling, you'll freak out because you think, I can't fix this. I can't, I'm not a professional. I can't fix this. I know you can't fix it. Chill out. But you can be their friends. You can phone them every so often. Send them a text message. I'm thinking of you, praying for you. Give them a Bible verse. Visit them at home every so often. Yet, you're not a professional, but they don't always need professionals. Sometimes they just need friends, someone who cares. And then number four, finally, empathy. The verses we read at the start actually had some verses before it. And the verses before it, Paul describes empathy, and he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. Isn't it good that God's a God of compassion? The God of all comfort. Isn't it good that God comforts and has compassion? Who comforts us in all our troubles, listen, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You experienced that today. John was sharing his story with you. He experienced comfort from God. Now, what's he doing for you folks? He's comforting you folks. You see, when you've been a recipient of comfort, when you've come through a journey, when you've had some battles and God's helped you with, let your past give someone else a future. Let your journey be a medicine in someone else's life. You have a unique perspective on this situation. You now know how that feels. You know exactly what they're going through. Rick Warren, famous pastor from California. Many of you have read The Purpose Driven Life. He wrote that. In 2003, his son, Matthew Warren, died. And it was a tragic, tragic, tragic story. All his life, Matthew Warren, since, since childhood, had battled with mental health issues. And uh, had been in much despair, but was an authentic follower of Jesus. Loved God, but nevertheless battled with mental health problems all his days. And sadly, as a young man, age 27, he ended his life with suicide. Rick Warren said that because of Matthew's own battle with mental health problems, he would often be aware of other people's struggle. Rick Warren said that when he died, he had about 30 to 35,000 letters of condolence from people from all over the world, from presidents, prime ministers, government officials, rock stars. Uh, but he said by far the most moving letters were the people who had been personally impacted by Matthew's life. And, and he quoted one person saying, Matthew, your son led me to faith in Jesus Christ. And Rick Warren said that when his son went to a party, he would go into the party and he would, he, it's like he had a radar, he, had a bee, he made a beeline for the person who was hurting at the party. And he would spend the rest of the evening talking to that person. Just because, he, because of his own journey, he had a sensitivity, he had an empathy for people who were going through the struggles. And so I want to encourage you, don't waste a thing. If you've gone through some stuff, you now become the means. You might even feel, Peter, I don't feel I've got it all together yet myself. I understand that. But maybe part of the therapy for you is actually being a blessing to someone else. And that your journey can equip you uniquely to have an empathy and to give comfort to someone else who's just going through it. I love what Rick Warren said. He said this about his son. In God's garden of grace, even broken trees 
bear fruit. And we're all broken trees. And we can all bear fruit. So let your past give someone else a future. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the amazing, broad, strong grace of God. Thank you for your compassion. God, thank you described as the God of compassion and the God of all comfort. God, thank you. You are compassionate. God, thank you. You mourn with those who mourn. You weep with those who weep, and you rejoice with those who rejoice. God, you are not aloof. You are not distant. You're the God who is rooting for us. You feel it when we feel it. You're, 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 you're moved when we're moved. And God, we thank you that you're the God who feels our pain. And Jesus, thank you for ultimately being the one who died for us flawed people on a cross to deal with the, the rottenness in our soul's sin, that we can be forgiven, that we can have hope in this life and in eternity because of what you did for us, Jesus, on the cross and in your resurrection. Thank you so, so much for your love, compassion, and power. Just everyone in the auditorium just now, just open your hands before God. I want to pray a prayer over you today. I want to pray for those. I want to pray for all of you. I want to pray for those who are struggling with the lowest feelings. And I want to pray for those who know people who are struggling with the lowest feelings. So I want to pray for all of us. Father in heaven, I pray blessing on everyone who's hearing just now. I ask in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, the Counselor, mighty Holy Spirit, come very close. For those who are in a point of lowness and despair and in a dark place in life, in Jesus' name, come Holy Spirit, bring your light, bring your peace, dispel darkness. We resist the enemy of our souls. Forbid you demons and devil from affecting these precious people's lives. In Jesus' name, darkness go. God, let your light shine. Let your peace come. Let there be joy and peace and hope restored in souls right now in Jesus' name. Just receive from God. Come Holy Spirit and do that, I pray. Father, I pray for I also pray for us, God, just again, open your hands and receive this. I pray for us, God, as we are around people in a world that is so desperate for friendship, a world that's so desperate for confidence, for people to talk to. I ask you, God, help us to be a people who will have a sensitivity to those around us, who will be able to empathize, listen, pray. Be there for people in the highs and in the lows. Holy Spirit, enable us to do that. With your help, help us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Okay, keep praying. You just talk to God. While people are praying, I want to give you an opportunity today. If you're here and you're not yet in a relationship with God, God really loves you. He really, really loves you cannot emphasize enough how much God the creator loves you and you are flawed but Jesus died so your sin could be forgiven so you can have eternal life and if that's you today and you're saying Peter I want to know God I want to know that forgiveness I want to have that eternal life that he offers then right now this is your moment reach out to him in faith 
Pray this prayer with me under your breath. Repeat after me. Dear Lord God, I thank you so much for loving me. Jesus, thank you you were willing to pay the price for me on the cross. And then on the third day, you rose again. I believe in you so much. I know that I am a sinner. And I know I desperately need a Savior. Save my soul today, I pray. Change my life. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Thanks for hearing my prayer. I commit myself to you. Just while everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I would love to pray for anyone today. If you've committed yourself to God, maybe you've, you've never done that before, maybe you've walked away from Him for whatever reason, but today you're committing yourself to God. I want to pray for anyone today who just in that moment committed themselves to God. Just if, to know who I'm praying for, can you just quickly raise your hand and say, that's me today. Just quickly raise your hand. Is there anyone like that? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God's heard you. Is there anyone else? God, thank you so much for these precious individuals who in your presence have committed themselves to God, the safest place to be in the hands of God. And I pray right now they will know the love of God, the power of God working in their lives, the love of God in their heart, and the security that they're now God's. Bless them. Encourage them. In Jesus' name. Amen.